This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden. Bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. Okay, we are back. Hopefully with a full pod, manifesting and <laughs> no technological difficulties. Um, so just going to launch right in because they've been doing this like film, not film, this video series for The Flash. This is ending with Grant Gustin. And he said that he wanted Barry to die in the series finale in the way that there's the, the fan theory that's been going on since the beginning of the show, which is that Barry is actually the lightning that hits him um, in the first episode. And I feel like, Michael, you and I have both said we were we were for that until all the trauma continued to happen in The Flash. And now it just seems like that wasn't a good, it wouldn't be a good idea to do that ending. And they're not, but it's just interesting that Grant wanted to do that as well. And Grant's always been like um, a champion of the show being loyal to the comics. And I can understand that there. I, I think it's a nice poetic ending but at the same time I feel like as a comic book fan I understand the poetry in it but as a fan of this TV show I wouldn't like that as an ending these characters have been through way too much Barry's disappeared into the speed force into the past into the future into this into that into the other we don't need the show to end doing the exact same thing it's done throughout its run let them have a happy ending the show's built on family and even though it's kind of lost the plot as far as that goes over the last few seasons it's still there in the heart of it i i th- feel like a happy ending is the only way the only acceptable way the show should end and i'm i, I i'm glad eric's gonna give us one i am too i feel like i really like the idea of the lightning bolt until all of the trauma settled in with everything that he and Iris have been through. And I feel like as as hot as how this season has gone, that would also just really be a terrible ending for for the Flash because they've already done this. Iris thinks she's gonna be without Barry in her future because time has told her that over and over again. And then the show just confirms it. Mm-hmm. And we're already in a weird like storytelling spot for her anyway, which I'm not a fan of what's going on with her arc. We'll talk about it come the review for the Flash, but she deserves better, and so does this final season. Definitely. I feel like we've left that story in the past, so we can move on from that. And hopefully, I say tentatively, hopefully get something of a decent, final, happy ending for them. So I feel like, so we're going to launch into Superman and Lois in a moment, but I just, one of the things that makes us so irritating through the week is like you get Superman and Lois and it's like quality, and then you get the flash the next day and it's like not quality. <laughs> so I, just... I just looked at our outline for the first time under the flash review in our notes. One singular bullet point. <laughs> <laughs> I won't reveal it till we get to the review, but y'all, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> If you saw me grinning like a few seconds ago, that was the moment I saw it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. This, this is going to be an interesting review. Michael, I'd love to hear your thoughts once we get to it. I'd love but- to hear my thoughts. I still haven't figured them out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but first, Superman and Lois, a quality superhero family drama. I feel like we have to say that now instead of just saying superhero drama. It very much is a family drama. Like, this episode did have, like, action, and it did... It did further the super part of it, but the big portion of the episode was 
the Ken's dealing with some drama concerning Candace's father and the Cushing's dealing with the aftermath of Lana slapping Sarah. Like um, those were like the two big storylines and the superhero plot was kind of just in the middle hanging out. We were getting like the seeds for what's to come without it being like explosive just yet. Everybody needed family counseling. Oh, yes. About halfway through, I was like, you guys cannot handle this on your own. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody was equipped with the emotional tools to figure all these situations out. And that's the thing. I, I, we, the three of us talked about it privately. Like, not an awful lot of physical stuff happened in this episode, but there was a lot of emotional movement on the board. And it was a very powerful episode. And I have to say, it, it, it started very, very well because the thing I like about Superman at Lois is it's a family drama. This is the priority of it. But they always have at least five minutes to spare for some superhero stuff. So the big forest fire at the start where Clark and Jordan were saving the day. First of all, visuals, cinema, everything you could want from a superhero drama. But a nice scene that looked like it belonged to maybe 911 Lone Star or something like that. The forest fire with Superman getting involved, saving everyone. And then Jordan learned something from that and they took that into his arc. So I feel like it ticks the comic book boxes even when we're having a a family storyline. But at the same time, it set up Jordan's arc really nicely. But at the same time, it also set up Clark's arc nicely because he had to rush back to check on Lois. That first scene had everything in it. And I feel like it set the stage for a really well-rounded, dramatic family episode. I think the fire made me think of Fire Country on CBS. I was like, oh, we just using the budget fantastically. I loved how it was like the stakes for how Jordan participates is even higher now, um, even though it's only been like two episodes. But that might also have to be to do with you know how worried Clark is about Lois because he just left Homeboy there to deal <laughs> with the fire <laughs> with a situation he's never dealt with to that scale because he thought Lois was in trouble and all she did was drop a glass like we, we just rushed away from like putting out like a what would was, seemed like a lot of acreage actually for the mm-hmm. fire to be going down but I guess he believes you know Jordan has to step up and he believes Jordan can do it um and I mean not to skip to the end for Jordan but he got a super suit mm, Jordan's going places as far as the superhero story goes that was nice um I feel like he's slowly earning and I'd like to see a little bit more of that story play out on screen because like in the first episode, Clark was like, you're not ready. And in this episode, Clark's like, you're totally ready. And I know that's down to him trying to balance everything going on. But I mean, we never heard about it again. So unless it went horribly wrong, I think Jordan did exactly what he was supposed to do. And again, it set up Jordan's arc with Sam really, really nicely because I feel like we're starting to see the beginnings of Jordan's superhero story it, it kind of took a backseat in season two and I feel like we're now back on the track here as he figures out w- whether he wants to be a superhero and everything and Sam Lane's always an interesting character to pair those uh the, the teens off with when they want to do something good because he's like you have to be a full-time superhero and all that I had issues with their storyline but I mean like we'll get into that uh, do you want to say anything about that Reed? yeah I'm no Sam Lane stan by i'm not i'm just not but these kids mouthing off (laughs) (laughs) i've about had it (laughs) it was a lot i mean to really say that to your grandfather who you know is a general to be like Mm -hmm. you don't know like do you know what heroism is i'm like yes yes he does he's been doing it longer than you have you put out a fire (laughs) (laughs) let's not forget about malaysia yeah, yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> it all went horribly wrong. <laughs> that could have turned into a tragedy if Clark didn't get there. Just that, uh, what was it, a beam, a construction beam that was falling? Mm-hmm. Whatever yep. was happening, Jordan made it worse. I know yeah. that much. He, <laughs> he tried to laser it. Like, I and got it. Just it. it like, <laughs> falling down. <laughs> 
<laughs> and this time he had it and it went to his head. Mm. Now, granted, it was part of that was because his, his grandfather wanted him to change who he is as a person. And I feel like Jordan's identity is kind of wrapped up in his hair. Like it, ma- it makes him stand out from his brother in ways that isn't just him being more emotional than John tends to be. Uh, so, and I get like, he's a teen. He wants to be able to express himself and his curls are part of his expression. So for his grandfather to be like, actually a military style cut would be nice. Can we do mm-hmm. that? So you can hide your identity would brush up that against. That didn't you know. make sense to me because even if he cut his hair, people would still recognize him with his haircut, right? Mm. I, think I think it's, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think it's because it would be a less if it's a more generic uh, haircut, it, it would have been harder to identify him. But like that wouldn't have worked if you saw his face. Like regardless of what the, at the end of the day, the hair could hide his face. We di- we didn't want to talk about that storyline. I feel like there are plot holes on it. Yeah, but, like uh, hats exist. Exactly. <laughs> I I will I will say I did have an issue with that storyline. While I totally buy that Sam would have been like that, he was the one who came around in the end and was like, you know what? we shouldn't change who you are and your identity if you put so much emotional weight into your hair like so many young people do. And that was a real moment of growth for Sam Lane, which I didn't expect in this episode because he didn't have much role. My issue lies with Clark and Lois. They usually, they usually let the kids be themselves. And when Sam wades in and tries to change something, they're like, sit down, Mr. General. This time, they were like, you're, you're, uh, Sam's totally right. And even if he was right in theory, he did kind of like ambush Jordan and taking him to the hairdressers just to get it done without consulting him, without talking about it. And I just Maybe it's because Clark and Lois's hands are full. I feel like they would have been the ones to figure out that he didn't want to change what he looked like or didn't want to change his identity instead. But when Sam Lane does it, it kind of made them look worse in hindsight. I know they're juggling a lot, but I feel like the show did not want to tell that story. So it quickly moved through it because Clark and Lois are such good parents. And there is one scene I'll get to later that they are phenomenal. And I just feel like this storyline needed a little, if, if they wanted to do what they wanted to do with it, I feel like it needed a little more, bit more room to breathe and it kind of undermined Clark and Lois in, the, in that, if that makes sense. It does. I think, though, that this if they wanted to play like secretly, they had wanted to cut this child's hair for a while now, but they were letting him express himself. So now this is just the excuse to be like, well, you know, your grandfather is right. Maybe a little trim. But it also just depends. I mean, the way that this is framed, it does feel like they didn't have all the information. They have the information that like Jordan was rude when his mm-hmm. grandfather suggested he should cut his hair. But I don't know if they knew that they had they were already at the shop. And he was basically being ambushed and told that he needs to do this. Um, they are preoccupied, but it would be an interesting like parenting, like a minor um, parenting failure or, or um, overlook, I guess, for those two where like, like you said, because they're juggling everything and they're like, it's, it's hair, babe, just, just, it's fine. Just cut it instead mm-hmm. of being able to understand why Jordan would be so against it. Mm. I just don't understand why they, why you, cutting it was the option like can he just do a different hairstyle when he's doing his super stuff like put some gel in it slick it back i don't yeah. know um, <laughs> clark does that in smallville it makes total sense but also on top of that like to be fair to jordan every time he does a superhero and he's wearing a hood okay he randomly decided not to wear a hood in that one moment in time but like make him wear a hood again and you saw it in the uniform sam presents him with at the end the solution was to have a hood and i'm like that was the solution he was using already so um, i don't know i i Anyway, it, it made sense as a storyline. I just feel like it could have 
been explored a little bit more and i i'm definitely reading into it as far as a superhero show goes but superman at lois is known for its family exploration of stories it takes time to tell the little subtle stories and i just feel like it kind of missed an opportunity with that one because the spotlight was obviously on jonathan which i mean i was thrilled because jonathan never gets the spotlight and that was my favorite arc of the whole episode i think although can i quickly just say i'm tired of uh adults hitting children (laughs) yeah that's like what the whole episode was about (laughs) yeah i think that's what made part of it clunky you know like with the i mean the extreme stakes like i think all the teen stuff was a little clunky apart uh with them trying to do coming of age but also trying to do parents standing up for their children um and that like Lana slapping Sarah was a lot. And then John getting punched by Candace's father was also like that even was a further escalation. I'm just like, we, the stakes are so high in the teen drama when it comes to like physical violence um, and what the children are dealing with. I would like the same read. I would like for the, everyone to keep their hands to themselves when it comes mm-hmm. to the kids now, like we're done. No, no more. Mm-hmm. We don't need to see Jordan get smacked out by somebody. Quota reached. Yeah, the quota should have been zero. (laughs) (laughs) Although the irony is, I feel like we're going to see Jordan get physical as the season goes on, and he was he wasn't involved in any of this uh, physical violence lately. But um, the scene where Lois confronted Candace's father after what he did to Jonathan—what a payoff! I just—I didn't breathe. Yeah, amazing uh, tension. And but that is the most Lois Lane this Lois Lane has ever been, and I just I. I was in awe of at Bitsy's performance and everything like low you know what Lois is going through how she was worried about feeling weaker how she was worried about losing herself and just she could not have been more Lois Lane in that moment and she like mopped the floor with that man with just a few words he was like get ready to retreat into that trailer even with all his big talk that was Lois Lane and I just I couldn't have been prouder of Betsy in that scene but I just what what a moment the tension the build up the it set the stage Mm, Candace's dad got dragged by everyone in this episode and it was deserved I hate him Me too. Yeah. like the flashing of his gun too as if that was going to deter Lois Lane I love exactly. how the Bitsy's acting choice was to step forward mm-hmm. in that moment rather than step back which is what the, his character expected her to do and she's just like yeah I deal, deal with him and like you all the time you don't scare me mm-hmm. as I said leave my child alone I love mm-hmm. how fearless she was. She was clearly running on adrenaline or something. I think that isn't that she kind of like takes a physical hit after that. She kind of is like mm-hmm. tired. She's definitely running on adrenaline. And I also love, which I, I'm conflicted about how much I love this, but I love how much her sons and her husband are willing to protect and defend her. It's just so heartwarming to me. Like when he flashed the gun, the boys got out of the truck. Mm-hmm. Or was it a truck? I don't even know. It's a truck in my mind. (laughs) They got out of the car and they were willing to like protect her. And she was like, I got this. But like inside, you know, she was like, oh my God, I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) But she showed no fear. She's just like, because she wasn't going to back down. I do love Jordan. I was like, I got this, mom. She's like, no, you don't. Like, (laughs) (laughs) don't be getting all super honest. And speaking of getting all super honest, the fact is, 
I was like, where are we going with this? Because you know the way the show doesn't often do the same thing again. When Clark then went to pay this man a visit, lo, I love when they throw in the iconic Superman lines, but like add a little ch- change to them. Like, this is not a job for Superman. And Clark turns around and is like, oh, he won't be going. And then Clark went, and that was just pure Clark Kent. And what an intimidating, sweet, kind, iconic Clark Kent it was. I, I, I just, I can't imagine that... Tyler Hecklin or Clark Kent, like he, Clark Kent looks like Tyler Hecklin. And that man, no one looks at him and is like, oh, he could take me out. Like, if I'm looking at Clark, this Clark Kent, and he's coming at me, I'm like, and he's mad, I'm not going to try to run up on him like Candace's dad did. Like, how, why do the glasses really deter people from fearing him that much? It's like, <laughs> I love it. It's so funny to me that like they can look at this statue of a man and they're just like, yeah, I can take him. <laughs> no, it's like, sweetie, no, you can't. <laughs> Even if he wasn't Superman, I'd be terrified of Clark Kent. <laughs> I think what's great about that too is it's just because like all of it is smoke and mirrors for him. Like he really is like college all shucks. Like um, he's I a think- big teddy bear. He is, and I think like the assumption is like, yeah, he's a big dude, but like he's not going to start a fight. So I love that the staging of this takes place at the diner in full view of other people from town. Like just in case you got it twisted about Clark, never stepped toward his family like this ever. It got real tense. And the way that he, he even tries, like, I don't want to embarrass you in front of your daughter. Can we just step outside? And when he wouldn't do, he's like, okay, well then we're embarrassing you in front of your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> he gave him choices and I don't know that man's name. Uh, he made all the wrong ones. Everyone in the diner was shaken, was shook. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, okay. <laughs> we're not messing with Clark now. <laughs> Kyle was like, even Sarah took the earbuds out. <laughs> she had them in. She was like, oh, here we go. And then at some point she was like, ooh, they were out. And she was <laughs> taking note. <laughs> and like they, they did a great job of building up the tension in the whole scene because you didn't know how it was going to. We've never seen Clark Kent be this like violent or aggressive in public. Um, and of course, he conducted himself with class as always, especially when you're c- confronted by someone like that. But like they did, they did a good job because, again, it's such a public stage. And then Lana and Sarah and Kyle were having their conversation in the corner. And you saw Sarah kind of like sat back into Kyle almost out of fear as in what's going to go down. But then when it did go down, Kyle was like, respect, Clark, respect. And it was such it was such a good like I love the community of Smallville and I love that they didn't see him any differently after that, even though they've never seen that side to him. They're just like, look at Clark go. And that's what we were all like when we were watching it. He handled business and mm-hmm. her father got to taste the counter for a little bit. And I love how after Clark finished, we went right back into like dad mode. And he's like, mm-hmm. look, I'm so sorry, Candace, but what's going on? If you need to stay with us, you can. Like, I was like, see, I love that. One of the reasons why I love Tyler Hecklin's Clark is he's able to switch between the different personalities that Clark has mm-hmm. and he does so seamlessly. So and I think it's like he comes in aggressive, he's angry, he's protecting his family. Once he's finished that, he handles business, switches it off, goes talk sweetly to a young girl because she knew that how that would have affected her. And she's like, I, what? Candace keeps making excuses for her father and I get it. But I'm also like, girl, maybe we should just don't apologize for him, but also don't be like, he takes care of me and he's just trying to like put food on the table. It's like, it seemed like he potentially harms you too. There's a line her father has about um, 
handling her or something that had like gave alarms for mm-hmm. me. And I was like, no, we need to leave this house. Don't make excuses for him. He's abusive. If his means of protecting you inflict danger in your life, it's not protection. And sometimes I think that can be hard for some people to tell the difference between. Mm-hmm. So that's in that sense, it was relatable. Um, I, I Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was like, oh, Candace girl, I'm going to get you out of there. <laughs> <laughs> and the Ken's did. So now she's, it's going to be interesting now that she's taking up a room in at the tent farm, how that's going to go mm. since that is John's girlfriend. Yeah, that's a unique dynamic. Um, well, we've always wanted more like dialogue for Candace. So I assume she's going to be around more often. But like with all they're going through, and of course now they're going to have to keep the secret of what who Clark it really is and everything. Uh, that's an, I did not didn't see that one coming. It's such a subtle like, oh yeah, you can stay with us. And you're like, yeah, that's what the cats would do. But at the same time, it's completely changed the dynamic. Is Candace going to be in more of the story going forward? Or are they going to have to protect their secrets around her? Um, of course, like in the, yeah, now you have Jonathan and Candace under the same roof, and Candace doesn't exactly have the best relationship with the cats after everything that happened last season. So, I'm I'm glad I'm kind of glad with that one because it's changed things up. We've said how the Jordan and Sarah dynamic kind of dominated the cat storylines. This is something different, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. What's also going to be what was different this episode was um, Kyle and Sarah's dynamic because mm-hmm. uh, he's never actually had to be around her in the way that Lana is, and she was prickly with him too. Like morning uh, in the morning when he's turning on, like granted he did turn the blender on while she was sleeping, but I don't really know what time it was either. And mm-hmm. he's like, "If you're gonna live here, you have to get up at a decent hour." She's like, "What's a decent hour to you?" And he's like, "Girl, well, it's not whatever time it is right now. Is it like noon or something?" <laughs> get, <laughs> like, get up. I don't know, but she's never met a hand that fed her that she did not bite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of had to respect it. Like that's dedication as a, <laughs> as a sassy teen. <laughs> but mm, um, points to Kyle for trying to sort out the situation between Lana and Sarah. But Sarah did not make it easy. And then, of course, of course, Lana was overdue an apology after what she'd done. And that was the important part here. But I think we quickly saw that Lana regretted her actions. It was wanting to vow that it would never happen again. Sarah certainly didn't help the situation because she kind of misled her dad into thinking that she just she did not give him the full picture before he went. And of course, you did have the typical family drama scene of, oh, no, wait, don't go. But then like phones exist. She didn't try to call him. She didn't try to make up for the situation. And then when Kyle came in all guns blazing saying, you didn't tell me the whole story, she was like, Mm-hmm. And I guess that's kind of what Sarah does too much, if you know what I mean. I think we've seen it now, in the, even in these last four episodes. She doesn't give the full picture. And then when the person around her either misunderstands or the situation goes horribly wrong because they don't have the full information, she's like, well, what do you want me to do about it? And I think that that was important for Kyle to understand now that he was the one living with her. And yeah, I think it progressed well, the storyline. And like Reed said, commitment to the character. But ooh. Sarah is a frustrating character for She's sure. So infuriating. <laughs> and I don't know if that's like flawed writing or successful writing. Aside. <laughs> for me, I mean, I think it just depends. For me, it's flawed writing, but I think that's because she's too far. She's too far in the extreme of like constantly. Team, she's constantly that she's never able to see somebody else's perspective. And yes, there are teams like that, but in television, it does not work as well. Every time there's a the character like this on a show, I always end up 
disliking them as we go further in like this happened on Friday night lights. I forget the um, name of coach, the coach's daughter, but there's a certain point in one of the later seasons where I don't remember. (laughs) I was going to say Amy, but that's the, that's the actress's name. Oh, this is going to bug me. Whatever. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Julie, Julie, Julie. Okay. Julie. (laughs) We're going to say Julie from now on. (laughs) But Julie has like, as she ages, her personality starts to get a bit more prickly and abrasive to the point where she just can never understand her parents' perspective. And I thought it took from her character because every scene and every storyline can't be her disagreeing to the point of yelling at -hmm. her parents or disagreeing to the point of like not being able to see the perspective. And that's where we are with Sarah. I loved her scene with Kyle when he comes back from talking with Lana and when he realizes that, you know, him trying to tell her about her mom's perspective isn't working, let me remind her that she recently, that what a year ago she tried to kill herself so she can understand like what Lana was going through at the time so that she can get to the point of realizing her mom loves her. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I don't, why for Sarah do we have to go to the most extreme of terms for her to see the humanity in other people? Like, and I truly don't know if she even learned anything. She did. In that, in the the diner scene when they were having, when Kyle was uh, mediating, which was, you know, no one's more shocked about Kyle's behavior in this episode than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She, when Lana apologized genuinely, Sarah looked to Kyle to be like, what do I do? Like, do I care about this? And he was like, he had to like force her into being like, girl you gotta apologize too and accept it and in that moment i'm kind of like did she learn anything does she care does she know i i just i wasn't sure if if that got through to her i don't know i she didn't apologize which is that there was no i'm sorry or i apologize for what i said she said i didn't mean it and Mm -hmm. that's where that's as far as she got and i don't think she even like realizes that what she said might not be true that she didn't mean it because I don't think she really cares. <laughs> because yeah. as soon as Lana slapped her, that was it for for Sarah. Mm-hmm. They keep pushing each other and pushing mm-hmm. each other and pushing each other. And I think it's going to take more than this diner scene of like Kyle thrusting the white flags in their hands and forcing them to wave them. <laughs> it's going to take so much more for these two women to 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 heal from this. Like this mm-hmm. is this was a huge huge like it's it opened a huge gulf between them like i i guess i'm interested to see what happens next to see what sarah does because <laughs> she's always a, a a predictable an unpredictably predictable mystery if that makes any mm-hmm. sense 100 <laughs> percent. i think it's what's tough about the two of them is sarah like even if we take the slap out of it it's the inability to see how stressed her mom is when it comes to her. Like, because a lot of Sarah's attitude that she had brought into the scene before the slap, also stuff that was happening in season one, like she she feels like I've moved past something, so you should move past something too. So when it came to the party, yeah, I didn't tell you. 
I didn't tell you I was going to Metropolis. It's a thing that happened. No one else got in trouble. I don't understand why I'm in trouble. And I want you to stop talking to me about it. Like that's her Mm -hmm. attitude. And then like, it's the same thing. It's the same reaction she had in season one when Lana understandably has trauma over finding her daughter had attempted to commit suicide. And she was the one there keeping her tethered to life until the EMTs could get there. And so she's, yes, she's monitoring where you're going. Yes. She's making sure that you go to your therapy sessions because you need them. Like in Sarah, prickled over it. She said, I can handle myself, but no, Sarah, clearly you could not because she found you in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like So now it'd be like, no, you can't handle yourself because it seems like everybody in your friend group made the mature decision of telling their parents where they were. You made the immature decision of lying to me. And now I didn't even know that you weren't even in where in Smallville. You were off in mm-hmm. Metropolis. I, it, it's like she believes that even if she withholds information and everything ends up okay in her favor it's like then nothing happened why do we care and like you can't get away with that especially in the situation when you're withholding vital information from your father mm-hmm. like yes he should be mad at um lana but he also needed to view the full picture to be like i know i may not be on the best terms with your mother right now but you don't we can't talk to each other like that mm-hmm. like now you're putting me in the middle of this to get yourself out of the middle of this i don't know it was it's a whole again i'm going to suggest family counseling to them <laughs> <laughs> maybe it'll improve them maybe in time with sarah living with kyle which is where she i do think she needs to be there ron and her should not be in the same mm-hmm. house if ron is going to keep that promise they cannot be together right now and she's not she i think she learned with that blender that wake-up call mm-hmm dad's house isn't going to be the fun one like he's still going to give her structure and rules and Mm -hmm. she can't just sit on his couch and steamroll him which good for kyle Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah i feel like the dynamics will shift now and especially lana's still worried about the fact that she might become her mother they said that two episodes in a row so i wonder if we're going to get more about that what lana's fair i don't think so no i I, I don't even know get that one grandma <laughs> I didn't even know that woman's name's come up before, but two episodes in a row is a little bit uh, sus in a TV show. So it definitely feels like they're hitting towards something. So I don't know if we'll go somewhere with that or we'll like go into the like the long women's history. Maybe, maybe not. But I mean, like if we get more exploration of this like relationship between uh, Lana and Sarah, I think that's a good thing. I just think. Sarah needs to meet people in the middle and I know understand that she has a, a trauma maybe a trauma response to what happened and I no one's faulting her for that but Sarah's done this behavior with Jordan before she still didn't realize her fault and why the relationship fell apart in season two still still totally blamed him and now that all this truth's out still doesn't want to take it any further and that's okay but she wasn't upfront about it so I just I hope this season is a season of growth for Sarah I think that's important yeah we need to kick her she needs to get out of the green table instead <laughs> We can't do this every week with you, girl. Um, Before we move on to Bruno, though, I do have to say, if they do bring Lana's mom on, I want a stunt casting. I want it to be someone we're familiar with or someone who was in a Superman property that the comics lovers are familiar with. I would love that. There's so many out there. Former Lana Langs or former Lois Langs we can pull from. Definitely. Yes. Manifesting. Um, But with Bruno, I... I like him as a villain. I feel like he talks so much crap (laughs) all the time. And he is not afraid of them in their super suits. Like his scene with John after John saves his sister from this earth. 
is just hilarious to me. He was getting choked out and he still was like, I will attack your family in New Orleans. Don't try me. Like you can arrive here <laughs> in your suit like, and you can threaten me, but I promise you I'm going to win at the end of this. Mm. I, th- I think a lot of that's down to Chad Coleman's excellent performance because that villain could, we, okay, it's, maybe it's a bit too early to judge. We've only seen him in like two episodes. He could come off as a little one note because all he does is stand around and talk. But just the nuance with what Chad Coleman plays him, it just really comes across. And I do, I love the fact that this man's out here antagonizing people, murdering people, killing people, experimenting on people. And when someone shows up to accuse him of it, he's like, get out of my office. How dare you accuse me of that? And like, but sir, you're literally doing that. And he is, he's like, you have the gall to do this. You have the audacity to do this. And yet it's totally believable. You don't question this man, even though Lois continues to do so. So I think that's set up an interesting dynamic going forward. Um, He's definitely the most interesting and a different villain Superman and Lois has done so far. And I think that could work, work out in his favor because we've never had it. Well, I say we've never had a human villain. The last two villains were human until like halfway through the season when it was revealed that there's some kind of alien origin. I don't, I feel that they're not going to do this here, but perhaps Bruno is continuing to experiment on these people because he's sick and he's trying to find a way to like beat death. Who knows? Um, and if that happens, we know rightly that halfway through the season, this man's getting superpowers. But I kind of hope they don't go down that route because we have onomatopoeia or whatever that entity is to provide the superpower end of us. I was just about to ask what happened to Swirly Face Man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No word of them this week. Um, but I assume, I think Bruno got them to kill uh, John Henry Irons of this earth, which is why obviously John Henry Irons is now trying to protect his sister. First of all, the moment where they met, uh, he met, finally met a sister after these three years of talking about it. Beautiful moment. I kind of hope she continues, Dr. Irons continues to be in it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, this was very much the subplot of the episode, but it was also the only action we got in it, and very, very compelling. It, did, it, it kind of furthered Bruno's arc a lot more than any of the previous episodes have. And now that Lois has signed up to get treatment at one of his hospitals and he's fully aware of her plan, very interesting dynamic. Bruno Mannheim's Lois Lane's villain here and she's going to take him down, I feel like. And I can't wait to see how that plays out. It's going to be interesting because mm-hmm. he's, he's we don't really know what he's up to just yet. I mean, we just started the season, but they are like trickling in information and it really, Intergang does actually feel like a legit gang when they pull mm-hmm. um John in and they've got the pictures and they're like, look, we are surveilling you. You can try to get out of this, but you're going like, we have the means to make you do what we want you to do. Um, if, I was like, yes, letting it be like a very human way of handling someone, even a super person. I mean, granted, he's not like, he doesn't have superpowers, but his like, he has a high intellect and he has his suit. And um, I love the action sequence of him. Just once again, we got to see him leap off something and then his suit comes on and then he goes to save his sister and they're called the Wonder Twins. And I'm like, do we get to see it? Warner Brothers, like, completely killed that dream when, when <laughs> they became Warner Brothers Discovery. So can we have Superman and Lois's more dramatic version? I'd love it. I'd love that as well. That was a nice little nod. And you're right, um, uh, John went full um, Iron Man, jumping out the window and letting the suit connect to him when he came back in. Um, I'm, I'm glad he got a moment to shine. He hasn't had much to do this season so far, even though at the end of last season, Diggle presented him with a storyline. So this is very much his story, but it's also Lois's story. And I'm glad he kind of held them accountable for investigating it without them. Um, Yeah, there was a lot going on emotionally. And I know Lois 
uh, she was doing what she could and if that hadn't happened she wouldn't have found out that she was ill but like it all came together in this episode again not an awful lot of physical movement but a lot of emotional movement in this episode wait what was that funny moment lois had not to completely change the subject she was on the couch and clark said something to her and she yelled after him when he left the room and i was like bitsy you're so funny <laughs> you remember <laughs> what was it was it? i can't remember was it about it the popcorn or was it um or was it, was it about that scene or was it about the tv show they were watching it's clearly the such and such a data Oh, yes. Yeah. I think it's that one. It was the father-in-law, she said, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love when Lois gets to be unserious. <laughs> yes. She never stops investigating. <laughs> and that was a nice, like, moment of levity in a very heavy episode. And they did have, like, little moments like that throughout. Um, I even laughed at when um, Clark found out about his blood, um, that the DOD had it. And they were just trying to spin him a tale about how we're just a blood bank for you. And he's yeah. like, okay. And he just destroys it and goes about his business. <laughs> yeah, I'm not letting you keep my blood. I'm not a fool, please. That man that man did not have time for that. He did not break a sweat. He had things to do and places to be, and he got it done. I love this season. It's like we have stressed Clark in a different way because he's like in his real life, he's just like stressed. He's like he's like spinning so many plates. <laughs> and I I don't know. I think he's my MVP so far. Obviously, mm-hmm. his his name's in the title of the show, but I've just loved seeing what Tyler's doing this year so far. So much ground covered in four episodes, like so mm-hmm. much complex, complicated. Ugh. I can't even imagine where we're going. <laughs> right. And this is how you see it in the big plot, right? Like, and still manage to do a lot of character work. I mean, there's so much character work that happens in these four episodes. And yet they, we still are very much intrigued with what's going on with Bruno and Anna Monopia and the people that resurrected. Mm-hmm. A lot of lot, there's a lot going on, and there wasn't an awful lot of movement on the board this week. But again, at the end of the day, they, they, they placed the spotlight on some characters. Like Chrissy wasn't in this episode, I don't think. Natalie wasn't in this episode, I don't think. But the characters that were in it, like John Henry Irons, got his own full subplot all to himself. When was the last time that happened? So, I mean, we were moving in the right direction. And I know maybe this is the most critical we've been off an episode, but it was still a solid nine out of 10. Superman and Lois never fails to miss and never fails to hit the mark. And this was just another example of that. Mm-hmm. Seems like a good way to to ease in to our old, our old pal the Flash. <laughs> Would you like to say what the bullet point is now, Reed? <laughs> it says a waste of time. <laughs> uh yeah, I it was. Like to just do it's not it goes beyond filler. Um just to give you an overview of what the plot, the premise was, Reed, was that like inspectors come to look at this, what is it, Star Labs, because it's out of date and they need to make sure that everything is up to code. Uh, and prior to that, there was a flash, there was a, we got sent to the future, 100 years in the future, where someone was stealing something from the Flash Museum and they opened a portal and they ended, they ended up back in the real Star Labs. The whole point is that they get trapped in this like, it's not even really a time loop it's like a time bubble where they can't really leave star labs or this one room in star labs and so it's they treat it as a whodunit it's a terrible whodunit because you know exactly who the thief the time thief was from the beginning because she's supposed to be an electrician but she doesn't know about the the electric box she's like the the thing with all the electric stuff and i was like girl it's you because like, <laughs> what electrician doesn't know about the fuse box <laughs> but then you get to the end, right? After Iris and Barry have had some um, emotional conversations about what their future may be. And all Barry does 
is talk to her and convince her to go back to the time that she was from so she can put the time gauntlet back so that they can get out of this time thing. And that's the end of that plot. There's no action. There's no real mystery. And everything else that happens in the B plot has nothing to do with what's happening at Star Labs. Once more, it was another example of why you're wasting everybody's time when you can solve the thing with one conversation. Not even Mm -hmm. like a long conversation. It was like four minutes. And then she's like, you know, you're right. It was my retirement fund, but I'll put it back. And that's (sighs) the end of her. Yeah, I'm going to sound like a hypocrite now because I always say I love the family drama on Superman and I was over the superhero stuff. But we have gone three episodes of The Flash without the Flash suit appearing at all. There has been no action. There has been no kind of like compelling conflict. And yet here we are again on the third of four interlude episodes. The fourth one I'm excited about, but it's been a struggle getting there. And just no movement, no movement on the board. Superman and always had emotional movement, no movement on the flashboard. You know how something? much this like hurts my heart that we have five episodes of the show left and not one of these episodes I've heard you guys talk about like excitedly. I just I like I know how much you guys adore this show and to hear you guys week eight weeks in. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it just hurts my heart. What? How does this make any sense? <laughs> it doesn't. And like we all watched the premiere. We had that with the Durice starting strong was kind of even the worst crime they could have committed because it convinced us that after multiple failed attempts, we were finally going to have a decent season. And here we are right back to square one. The first episode was great. The seven or eight that have followed since have been the best we can get hope for the Flash now is great episode. What was the point in that? <laughs> That's the best we can hope for right now because everything else has just either been bad or mediocre or a missed opportunity. Um, my problem with this episode, this was this reminds me of the Cecile and Allegra and Chester one, Sabrina, because again, it was just a fine episode, mm-hmm. but it was out of place in the season in the final season and it amounted to nothing. And again, you were more interested in storylines that weren't being played out on screen instead of the ones that are. Um, yeah, my biggest issue with this is the stakes. And the way characters behave. I think Reed, we talked about this yesterday in one of the calls with other people when we mentioned how comedies tend to have smaller stakes than drama shows. Um, this is what The Flash has been doing. The Flash has end of world stakes. Um, but this episode's highest stakes where Barry's like, Nora's arriving in seven months. So I've decided to stock up on her favorite ice cream now, even though she's not going to like it from, for, until 23 years from now. And uh, um, and we, we need to build the the cot and the bed. That was cute, but we didn't actually see a play out. Barry had it done while Iris was like, why are you doing this so early? And honestly, girl, Sam, but... Um, it, it just this this is the stakes that the flash who fights end of world speedsters and crises on infinite earths was dealing with right now suddenly uh, this show that has high drama stakes has low comedy stakes and i'm like but if this was a comedy this is a great co- concept for an episode but it's not a comedy and this is a show with end of world stakes it's not the same thing like riverdale the problem is it's end of world stakes destroyed character development these stakes are so low. There's no room for character growth. There's also no room for anything exciting to happen either. And I, I didn't tune into The Flash for that. I tune into my favorite comedies for that, but I'm not tuning into The Flash for that. So I just don't understand why Barry Allen, the world's greatest superhero, nine seasons in, is starting to do the same mistakes he's always done and plan ahead, even though the whole point of the season premiere was that Barry and Iris aren't supposed to be planning ahead. And like, why are we doing this? Like, 
Yes, we get it that your adult daughter from the future likes this type of ice cream, but she isn't going to be your adult daughter from the future for another 23 years. Why are we stocking the freezer up full of ice cream now? <laughs> it just makes me laugh. Why is ice cream such a big plot point? I don't know. I don't know. They needed to watch, if they wanted to, to like see how to juggle like low stakes comedy in a final season they should have checked out dynasty because like yeah. i feel like dynasty did that so well in their final season where they they did anything they wanted there was some a random episode where there was we've talked about it where there was just a whole act was just a horror movie in mm, the middle yeah. of a random episode and i was like what was that about and i'm like i mean i don't care if a show in its final season goes out swinging trying anything they can like whatever yolo you know but like, there's a way to pull off low stakes comedy and still make it compelling week after week. Every week's not going to be like you're not going to be on the edge of your seat. Whatever, fine, it happens. But like, there's there's a way to make it work and not make it like housekeeping mm -hmm. every week. Mm -hmm. And that's what this comes off as. I feel like they a dynasty owned its tone. The Flash can't own any tone because it doesn't know what it is anymore. And that's the big problem we have with it. It feels like, the, so anyway, the whole point of that little like Barry being stuck in the future and Iris being stuck in the past is that when they were both stuck in this time bubble, they both had one beautiful, emotionally acted conversation. And Grant and Candace yet again killed it in that moment where they both realized, Barry or Iris literally said to Barry, you're stuck in the future. I'm stuck in the past. And then whatever keywords were said in there, it made Barry realize, you're right. And then they came up with a plan to solve the problem. But if the whole episode existed just for one meaningful conversation, what does that say about the rest of the episode? If you know what I mean? And like, it wasn't even that powerful of a conversation. The conversation was powerful, but it had no effect to the story because these characters have been here before, overcome this problem before. And now in the final season, we want to be revisiting the same problem we saw six episodes ago. It's not always talking about time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It, it's not my issue with it, and it's my least favorite episode of The Flash, I think. And this is counting like well, episodes ever? I watched in the ever. Even um, more than the Allegra Tester and Cecile one. Yes, actually, because oh, wow. like Lady Luck was um a standout in that one. Fun, and, very fun, yeah. Um it was a solid episode, it just didn't deserve to be in the final season. Like there and I thought that they could have done better with how they arrived at certain things in the episode, but this one, it's the type of it should have just never have happened because <laughs> it does <laughs> no, we, we, we'll never beat that criticism that, that's just perfect <laughs> because so like you said the vehicle it seems for the, the driving part of this episode is the emotional conversation that Barry and Iris have the issue with that conversation is that Iris has had the same realization every episode this season I need them to let it go when it comes to her struggling with her future in regards to having a child and what it means for her having to slow down. Just because you change the sentence structure doesn't mean you've changed the conversation. Mm -hmm. It's still the same thought for her. And I'm like, did you not? You didn't have an iris plot. You couldn't have possibly had an iris plot because she's not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Like she's arriving. Like we had a wonderful premiere episode. We had some more exploration of her being scared that because her life is dictated by what happens in the timeline, she'll, she'll never be surprised by anything. But how many times can we have that conversation? And how, like, and then when you put it in with her talking about pregnancy brain, which is a real thing, like, but they played it as a comedic. And I was like, well, actually it's a lot, it's distressing for a lot of people. 
Um, cause there's pregnancy brain and there's parent brain. So like, you just, you would just, she can't remember things. Right. And I wonder what that would be like as a reporter when you're trying to lead your group and you say the wrong word or you say, or you misremember facts. Like I know Candace did amazing in that scene where she balanced both the emotion and the comedy of it. I just didn't care for it. Like I just, it's just one of those things where like, how bad does the writing have to be that the Cecile Allegra in Chester plot has more stakes and is more compelling than what is happening with Barry and Iris, which is saying something because people get turned into statues and are proposed dead in Barry and Iris's. And I still didn't care. I think it's because mm-hmm. they made him the statue of David. And at that point I was like, we're ridiculous. It's just not, <laughs> it's just not happening. But I am just to move to Cecile Allegra and Chester with the, do I think them saying I love you is too fast? Yes. But did I enjoy Allegra's conversation with Cecile, which should have happened with Chester, um, about how she's afraid to love because everyone she's loved has died or left her? Yes. I thought that was great character exploration. It made sense for who she is as a person. And I, even the end with her and Chester, though, was cringy. I'm sorry. Just... Yeah. Yeah. I'm... Uh... Yeah, I had struggled with that storyline as well. I the again the acting sold it. I thought the um the scene between Kayla Compton and Danielle Nicolette with uh, Cecile and Allegro was beautiful. Um, but I wasn't really sold on that whole story either. Um, I did laugh because after um Chester told Allegra that he loved her and Allegra was afraid to say it back. Read Cecile walked straight in on them. It was like I'm getting vibes, and then. <laughs> And uh, so they were then they were dead. Allegra was desperate to get Cecile to stay while uh, Chester kind of wanted Cecile to go so they could talk about it. But um, Allegra would not let Cecile go. And then so uh, Chester got up and walked out. And then that's when we find out that Allegra was afraid to say that she loved him back because everyone she loves, she loses or leaves her. We've seen this plot too many times before. So for it to just to be a single episode about this, it had not, not it, it made sense for Allegra. But I'm like, we're we're doing the most basic love story plot with Chester and Allegra and expecting us to get invested in that. They have the first kiss. Oh no, that was a mistake. Five episodes later, you're all I want. How could I have been so stupid? Now, now another episode later, it's like, I love you. I can't say it back. And it's just like, I feel like we, if we had more time to breathe with the story, it would have made sense. I get that they have a final season, but then you look back at what they've been doing with that final season and you're like, actually, they did have time to tell the story better. They just haven't been. I don't want to sound like I'm always railing on every single story they tell, but it just feels like they're so caught up with telling the boring episode of the week structure that actually important decent character arcs get thrown by the wayside and even my least favorite characters chester cecile and allegra the exact same thing happens to them i want more for them i want more for barry and iris and we're just not getting any of it from these episodes mm-hmm. well beautiful gowns <laughs> yeah before beautiful moving gowns. to riverdale though just one point because i wanted to ask you michael how you felt about them shoehorning in keon going to see caitlin's mom and us not seeing Caitlin's mom because that actress is on Young and the Restless right now. So she's busy at CBS. So they just, I forgot about her. Like they, she leaves in the beginning of the episode to go talk to her. And then we just get a summary sentence. Read, this is why it's a waste of time. All of yeah. it's a waste of time. That plot wasn't even a C plot. It was a Z plot. Didn't need to be there. Could have cut it and nothing would have changed. It had nothing to do with it. Um, I like seeing Susan Walters pop up as Caitlin's mother from time to time. I adored that woman on the Vampire Diaries. I thought maybe it would have been nice to get to see her one more time. But 
they clearly couldn't make it work, just like they haven't been able to make the rest of the season work. Wait, so the actress wasn't in the episode, but they still did the storyline? They did all about her. Keon was afraid to go and see her because she was Caitlin's mom. Caitlin's dead. Nobody's treating the fact that Caitlin's dead. Actually, like the fact that Caitlin's dead. They're all just like, oh, Keon looks like her, you know. Um, so she was afraid to go and see um Carla because Carla actually is Caitlin's mom. And then apparently they had the best of conversation and Carla wants to get to know Keon and none of it happened on screen. And we don't know if this woman even grieved her own daughter's death because no one on Team Flash has been grieving her own daughter's death. What a waste of time. What a waste of time. Um, yes. There's nothing positive I can take from that story. I like Keon, but the whole, entire handling of her storyline has been appalling. Sorry. Such. I must keep that word in the bank. It's not good. <laughs> 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 but to go to the town with that i'm um, speaking of vibes this whole episode was just vibes but i okay, did see, enjoy it see when i finished the episode i was like that was kind of boring Ooh. but i liked it yeah i was like it's such a refreshing change of pace for riverdale <laughs> <laughs> like i i would take a boring episode where they like let's be real not much was really going on mm-hmm. like we're still getting setting up this world right like we're there was no overarching like nothing that really happened besides the end thing seems like it's going to build any sort of season long Mm -hmm. storytelling we're like we're getting into this world um but i was like i'm down with it i i love turning my brain off i love it so much and the cast was having a blast like i i was it was just fun i didn't need anything over the top I'll take a boring Riverdale episode that doesn't confuse me (laughs) over a boring one that does. (laughs) And it was very different to the premiere because I think the big difference, and this is Jughead's now in on the joke, so to speak. Last last week, obviously, he was running around and we have to fix this. Now he's part of it. And we said how um, KJ completely committed to playing the young um, Archie. Cole completely committed to playing the young Jughead in this. He wasn't like caught up in all of his oh, we need to save the world kind of plot. He's like, golly gee, they stole my artwork and I'm going to go and rant about it. And he really committed to the role. We've never kind of seen Jughead being his comic book self. And that's the first time he really got to say it. And it was totally refreshing. Um, he, he he went and complained to a comic book company. He got Ethel in on the drawings and then Ethel came into play more. That's probably the biggest kind of role Ethel's ever had in an episode since maybe your first appearance in season one. So a lot of the dynamic shifted, a lot of the things changed, and yet not an awful lot was happening in it. But I think that gave Riverdale the time to play with the storylines it had instead of worrying about all these big end of world stakes, which is completely what sank season six. So I think this was a good thing. I know, very quiet episode, not as exciting as the premiere, but like Reed said, I'll take that any day of the week over whatever we got in season six. I think for me, I know like the the words that were keeping in our minds for the season has been towards justice but i can also see how in this season i feel like it reset all these characters and they feel like the challenges they face in this timeline are going to bring them closer to themselves like you can see Mm -hmm. how cheryl is getting closer to who she was by opening up to tony i really enjoyed seeing that where you know cheryl's this repressed 50s girl who's like no i'm not I'm not into Tony and like, but the closer they get to themselves, I feel like is how this world is going to start to crack a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. we see, they all kind of like strip away who they were in the fifties and we're getting closer to themselves. Like not by a long shot, we still have a long way to go, but um, that's something I enjoy seeing too, is like 
they may not be the characters that we knew, but each decision they make, the more that they question society, the more that they uh, push back against it, it brings them closer to who they were, which like I want to hold on to these light, innocent versions of these characters a little bit longer because it's so fun to see like Archie without trauma a little bit. Um, like it's so fun to see them without all of the baggage that they had. What is it? I don't know how long that season one through six, 10 years. I don't know. All that, all of that built up and they're from season one to season six, there's different people. And to see them in the fifties, just completely innocent, fun, free. That's what I enjoyed most about this episode is just seeing them. Their biggest concern was the sock hop. Mm hmm. <laughs> and their feelings i thought this episode for that was so sweet and it's like not just romance it was like wanting to feel appreciated and wanting to feel acknowledged like jughead's whole thing is he he wants people to see his work to 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 appreciate what he puts on the page and he's young so he doesn't i love the critique that the guy at Pep comics give him he's like Mm, Manders, it's too like it's too wordy, but it'll do. Like, because mm -hmm. he's just starting out, so he hasn't really found his voice in the way that he needs to. But he's found it enough to get hired to do something. Meanwhile, Ethel here is drawing masterpieces because apparently she's just amazingly skilled. But I like how subtle the isms were in this episode. Like, you had the sexism of her being treated like something as mentally wrong with her because she's drawing something grotesque and she's a girl. Mm -hmm. And um, which I'm scared for her because I feel like the school's going to send her to the sisters of quiet mercy. Um, I wish that didn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> we, don't need that back. we don't need that back. We don't. Did you guys, um, before I forget this point, I think in the opening narration when Jughead is in his, he's in his jammies and he's reading his comics and he said superheroes are out and horror is in. And I was like, is that their way of telling us that, did they said that, right? Like mm -hmm. superpowers? Mm -hmm. So I was like, so are we are the superheroes? Is that you telling us that the superpowers were not coming back to that? Because I was like, sweet. <laughs> it's, nice. it's a nice storyline like, for you to move on. Yeah, I need to go back and see if that's what was actually said because I clocked it, it like right was, after it. That's what he said. Okay, he was. Cool. Yes, I simply watched so, the opening this morning. I don't want to read into that too much, but I'm like, can I read into that? <laughs> <laughs> I know at first I was like, what do you mean superheroes were out in the 1950s? But now, no, now I like, yeah, my like <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Jughead, we got to talk. <laughs> we're over. Th that means we could probably do some weird Archie stuff. They might actually have something set up for that, which I'd be very interested in seeing. But for right now, we are living in the bubble of figuring out how to be in a relationship and what you deserve. I loved Archie's spot with Veronica because she was doing the most, um, auditioning those boys to be her date. And Archie is such a sweetheart. And he really just wanted to be the person who took her to the sock hop. He even wrote her a poem. My sweet and little I, baby. And See, I feel vindicated because from day one, I have loved Archie even when everyone was mocking him for the bear and the football line and all that stuff and him being stupid, I was like, no, 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 no. Deep down, there's a sweet prince who just wants to be loved 
who wants to give love and we got him baby we got him <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes and i love seeing that side to him because i always said this i preferred um football slash musician archie over everything that came next I, at one point in time it felt like the creative team were like what can we do with archie this season what can we do with archie this season all the interesting storylines were always happening around archie and they had to stick him somewhere else to take him out of them so this this time he's completely at the heart of the interesting story like he was in season one he's just humble kind nice archie who maybe has a thing for music and is a poet and we didn't know it and that was just <laughs> lovely to say it and it was just give me that archie any day of the week i don't want prize fighter archie i don't want i wrestle with the burr archie i don't want highs and lows of high school football archie i just want poet archie i just want musician archie and i think we're getting all of that and no matter who he looks at, whether it's Betty or Veronica, he KJ just smiled with his whole face mm-hmm. in this era. And it's, I don't care which couple, which ship I prefer. I am loving seeing these dynamics mm-hmm. between, you know, Archie and Veronica, Archie and Betty. And I was so invested in the storytelling of Betty and Kevin and the unrequited love between Betty and Archie that they just can't get on the same page at the same time. And the timing didn't work. Oh, I was like, like it just felt like what Riverdale probably would have been if it wasn't uh, a modern thriller Mm. in season Mm -hmm. one. Like this is like the teen drama that we never really got because it was um, so steeped in genre, which I love Riverdale. I'm obviously like everything it's done, I think has been so unique to this show. Um, but doing this homage to like, and the, the kind of era that these teenagers never really got is I'm just, I think I'm going to keep praising this aspect of the season. Cause I think it's so unique and fun and innovative. And I just hope people, I haven't looked at what fans are saying. Cause I just can't stomach it. <laughs> so I hope they're having fun. well with the 50s like even though they're in this decade it's also like really relatable like archie's just really trying to like be with veronica and the way that he sticks up for himself around julian because no like when i watched i was like why did she ask him to come with information on politics and and art that Mm. is not who he is as a person and you know that like (laughs) look on his face was like oh crap i don't i know cars in the football (laughs) (laughs) but i love that the episode doesn't discount him for that yeah like he's just a different he has a different means of looking at the world and different interests but also like he can name drop an artist he pulled out the norman rockwell don't sleep on him (laughs) (laughs) but i just there's a innocence and yes like a home a warm-hearted homely quality not homely homey quality (laughs) (laughs) homey quality to archie that like where he just also just asserted himself like, you don't get to talk about my dad and his suits. You don't get to say, like, was he buried? I thought he was buried in the one he had. Like, Julian's a turd. He's absolutely awful. <laughs> and, like, I just really wanted, like, Veronica to get away from him or to just mm-hmm. want more for herself, too, because this is also a part of her characterization that we saw over the years. She kind of goes for what's expected of her. Mm-hmm. And regardless of how, like, someone is treating somebody else, sometimes, you know, she doesn't stick up for people that she needs to stick up for. And that's what happened with Julian. He should have definitely gotten dismissed from her house after that comment. Like, you don't get to comment anymore on Monet. You get yeah. to leave. Definitely. And I'm with you on that. And I feel like one of the most interesting aspects of the Veronica and Archie relationship has always been small town boy meets big, big city girl. And 
they only ever conveniently used that when it was to split them up we're not meant to be and like we literally never seen any of this throughout the whole show's run why is this coming up now whereas now they're tallying it from beginning straight through and we're seeing that even though they do have that chemistry there's going to have to be a lot of work there for her to understand what kind of person he is and he tried to understand her world and bless him that was not for him and i totally accept that but they we've seen before they can meet in the middle and i really really enjoyed seeing that i'm not like Yes, Varchi. No, Varchi. I'm like, I'm happy to see it ride this wave and see the journey here. Just like I didn't mind seeing the Betty and Archie scenes either. Like Reed said it earlier, it doesn't matter what ship you're on. All of the scenes are really intriguing. All of the dynamics are wonderful. The performances are great and they're selling them. And everything just feels so fresh and new. And I can't wait to see where it goes next because like we've seen multiple relationships explored already. None of them feel finalized at this point. I think everything's still up in the air and that's one of the most exciting parts of the season. Mm. But to be a Bertie shooter, real quick, <laughs> like <laughs> so pop off, <laughs> I think what is so cute about them in this episode is they captured the innocence of the two of them, and we went back to like clearly they've been best friends since they were children and they have that cute little moment where he can't not dance but she is trying to help him learn how to twist and when that doesn't work she slow dances with them and you can see the light in their eyes as they realize hey this is nice this is like Mm -hmm. as betty called it it's a stirring um and it's true i you could tell that there's a piece of them that feels like something could come of this if they allowed themselves to 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 cross that line from their friendship into a romance and I just thought Betty was so lovely um, when she was trying to like talk to her mom about it. And I hated that Alice shut it down. I was like, you just want to feel appreciated by Kevin. I like, Kevin does not want her. And you know, Kevin does not want her. Like, it's not, but it's Can we safer. just have a moment for Alice's wig though? Yes. Mm. Lovely. Okay. I just needed to throw that out there. <laughs> like, oh, imagine that is amazing. It's <laughs> <laughs> yes, an amazing wig. But there's this after Veronica seems to give the clear about like, I guess if another girl goes to the sock hop with Archie, she'd be the luckiest girl in the world. And Betty's like, that girl can be me. And she like skips out of the thing, um, out of the, what is that? The changing room. Uh, she, she, the, the 80s music plays. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw your tweets and I clocked it to in the episode. I'm, I'm interested in this 80s synth music motif that's been running through the two episodes so far. Like, I want to know what it means. This is new. This is our beanie watch. <laughs> I, I, to me, uh, just based off the two times I've used it and perhaps when I use it again, it'll be different. It signifies them moving towards a time jump. Like to mm. getting closer to who they are. If it's that's eighties, maybe we're gonna jump to the eighties at some point. Or like the that that eighties sound is is supposed to symbolize their present day they're supposed to be in. So I was like, does that mean Bargie need to get together in order to get back to where they need to go? Can I can I revel in some barginess? Because I would love it. Was Jughead correct when he said Betty and Archie need to get together on the bed <laughs> and then create an explosion and bombs and everything? But it, it definitely it does feel like they're slightly starting to bend towards the versions of themselves, or at least toying with that. I think that's going to be maybe the season running arc and seeing if that can impact it or whatever. Because now that we we've kind of written both versions of Tabitha out of the show for the moment. So we're like, how does that play in? We're, what are we going to do with this and how long will that last? So it does feel like the um, 
the theme of the season has been taken off the table and we're just letting the characters play around, moving them around like chess pieces and having a bit of fun with that. And if they want to do that for a few more episodes, I'd love it. I love that we had the sock hop. I always think Riverdale does the dance episodes the best. And that's always nice because you, you just felt the like nostalgia of high school, even though we're in the 1950s and don't know what that was like. It was just really, really nice. And it was nice to see these characters. It was nice to see Cheryl have that like dance with Tony. And then the principal, like watching them, but it was just, it was nice generally. He can get lost. He really yeah. can. Really. Um, can we talk about Bloody Ethel, though? Bursting mm. in and kind of like killing the vibe. <laughs> I wonder if it's her parents' blood because that scene right before where they were like, you can't go. And they were um, shaming her. And her, she was trying to tell them, just because you're miserable and you drink too much doesn't mean that I can't have a life. And I was like, you're right, Ethel. Mm-hmm. Like, I hope you get away from your parents. <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting that. I know we said it was in the trailer, right? It was in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was still like, oh, forgot that Riverdale does gore sometimes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we couldn't have had more than two episodes without a bit of peace. Um, but yeah, the fact of ending and the fact that uh, it interrupted the slow dance as well when it felt like everything was like bending towards each other. It was such a lovely moment. And then that just kind of like shocked us back down to earth. I and mean, like, the whole point that Riverdale needs to bend towards justice is that there's a lot of injustice right now. And I assume when, as far as Riverdale's concerned, that's going to include blood and murder and things like that. And per Ethel always finds herself at the heart of these depressing storylines. Always. She always brings the mess that poor girl. <laughs> and she's always into Jughead and it just never goes anywhere. As a free Totally oblivious. Totally oblivious. <laughs> bless him. <laughs> uh, one last point. I like, how do we feel about Clay? Because I like him and I, yeah. I want to see more with Kevin. And yeah, him. I like him. I agree. I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. Mm-hmm. Mm, well, I guess considering the promo, it's going to go far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, as everyone else promo says. for episode three. Whew. I know. They said, don't look at Ethel. Look at this. <laughs> like, look, <laughs> look at that I know. When I saw it, I was like, I was expecting like some tease about what Ethel's, Ethel's up to. And I was like, oh, so everyone's just horny next week got it <laughs> oh yes it's that episode i've seen that one on that <laughs> yes oh and bugheads you get a kiss it's there oh did they spoil that in the trailer mm-hmm. oh michael ah, i know things <laughs> <laughs> but they michael did confirming <laughs> <laughs> so y'all get to eat enjoy uh but wow so moving to like it's not a town with pep it's a town with ghosts uh, we come in peace, Horseshoe Bay. This yes. We come in peace. <laughs> we come in peace. Uh, just to like launch into our highlights real quick, we're going to give you all the cliff notes, starting with the father drama, because everybody's father was acting up mm. in those episodes. Lots going on. Um, what happened What's last happening? week? Yeah, <laughs> what was happening with dads? Okay, so, there um, were daddy issues, but it wasn't with Nancy. It was not with Nancy. Her dad's. Uh, were oh, amazing. it was Ace's dad. Was yeah, and Amanda's dad. Yeah, yeah, that's foolish. right. The foolish yeah. men were being foolish. <laughs> and we love Ace's dad, but he was very like Ace. Well, he got kicked out of his house because yeah. his, because his father, you know, didn't like that he told his mom about um, his brother. And I'm just like, well, sir, you weren't going to be able to sit on it. I know she has a heart condition, but eventually it was going to come out. And it just was not fair that Ace had to. Had, he was already stressing over being caught up in um, catching a case over Amanda's dad. And then here comes his father also giving him some grief. And it just, he didn't deserve what he got. I'm mm-hmm. not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am <laughs> mad though at Amanda. And. Sorry, 
<laughs> okay, maybe not a soapbox, to... maybe a stool. Just like a <laughs> tiny little stool that you can yeah, stand just, on. We'll just like nudge it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, waiting on the thunder and lightning to knock out my adrenaline. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Moral uh, of the story, I think, is that uh, we will be on the front lines for Ace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, long story short, Amanda was wrong. Ace was right. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it does set up an interesting plot that does happen in um, 7 and 8. You know, at least like it's a minor thing for Ace's character. There's a lot of Ace growth in episodes 5 through 6. Um, and he's, I like the arc of him being like, I'm not living with my parents i kind of feel like a burden like i want to like stand on my own as a young man and like circumstances are making that difficult i think this is the first time he's actually had to confront that and it's a very young adult um situation or i guess maybe not young adult i think it's, it's something that happens with adults in his case he's just younger he's like 19 so he didn't go to are we 19 still are we teenagers i feel like ace ace and nick are a little bit older than the girls Okay, so maybe 20. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I feel like they're in their 20s because he calls himself a grown man, which I know technically 18, 19 is you're grown, I guess, Mm -hmm. according to age. But um, but yeah, the storyline in seven and eight, I guess mostly in eight, I like that they paired Ace with Ryan because they are kind of in a similar boat where they're like their life kind of got um, shaken up at the same time. They're in similar circumstances where they're couch surfing they they're unsettled they don't really have steady work um and while ryan's not really insecure about that because he's this is like new and novel to him to be like free of his family commitments for the first time in his life ace is insecure about it he's like Mm -hmm. i don't i feel like i'm not doing i'm not living correctly something doesn't feel right um and I have no conclusions about this. I'm just pointing out that I enjoyed seeing them, seeing the differences in their perspectives on their similar circumstances. Mm-hmm. I feel like the, 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 these two episodes we just watched very much played into the previous two because S went through a lot in those episodes. And you're right, he kind of connected with Ryan because both of their lives had been upended at the same time. He was kind and, of punchy yeah. to Ryan mm-hmm. too. I was like, Ace, I love you, but you got chill. <laughs> <laughs> because ryan isn't insecure about it doesn't mean you need to force him to be insecure about it <laughs> yeah he definitely felt like he was kind of there was a there's always a little bit of ace that's always like yeah i'll go along with this whereas he kind of felt a little bit fed up in this, these last two episodes and i think that came, alex did a good job of portraying that because you do you kind of feel like ace is he's he's a sweet soul he's a light soul and sometimes a lot of the heavy stuff doesn't touch him but you can feel you can see that he kind of feels like he's been through an emotional war over the last couple of weeks and it's starting to weigh on him and i think that even though he's he stood up for himself to his dad in the last episode and was like no he's happy to be his own man and everything but like even when nick disappeared he this they played it as a joke at the start i can move out don't worry but you guys that was actually a realistic thing that was weighing on him he felt like a burden to nick and i feel like I, I, some yes, sometimes you, he hits you in the face with these kind of emotional storylines you didn't expect to come from him, and by the end of it, you're like, "Oh, sweet yes." And I feel like this was just another one of those episodes. He doesn't give himself grace mm. because, like, they also tell you how long it's been. It's been thirty days. Like yeah. he just finished the Google. 
<laughs> it, has, <laughs> it has not been that long. Um, and like, what is that for them? If they get weekly paychecks, it's four of his paychecks, maybe two if they're biweekly. Like, no, you don't have enough money for rent. Why would you assume you would have enough money for rent in, in, a, in a month? But he extends that grace to Ryan when like he realizes he's being prickly. And he says, well, your circumstances were different because you lost all your money and that you had the issue with your family. It's like, your circumstances also make sense for where you are. Like you were kicked out. You were not prepared to move out. Like you are, you almost, you know, ended up a part of a legal case that was not the fault of your own. Like, so like chill, breathe, I know, I, deep I breath. Really, I love this character arc for him because it is so relatable. Like in your early twenties, you feel like you need to be settled. Mm-hmm. but that's just unrealistic for everybody like you're gonna see on instagram somebody graduated from college got a great job bought a house they got engaged they have a dog and you're gonna be like i'm nowhere near that and you feel like what you just feel down on yourself and i think within his own friend group he's like i'm sleeping on my friend's couch he just bought a building he opened a, a youth center he's engaged and here I am <laughs> in the historical center beefing with a ghost. Like, he's like, what am I doing? And, and I can't fault him for that because that's something you have to go through. Mm-hmm. You have to get to the other side and realize I wasted my time feeling that way. I put too much pressure on myself. Um, and I do kind of like that. The, 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 the heat's going to start getting turned up because Ryan was saying he's stressed about Nancy. And mm-hmm. it's that's one thing that they both are not addressing. It's the elephant in the room. It's it's a bubble floating around them and they're not popping it. It's like they just won't see it. And I think for the first time, Ace was confronted with it from her dad, which was crazy. Um, but yeah, I think we got way too ahead of ourselves with this A storyline. He's just so fun. I love him. <laughs> he is. I do, just to stay on Nace Watch for a moment, though. I don't understand what the tension would be between him and Nancy for this specific, specific situation. Because yeah. I was like, is it is it you feel like she's because she's not going to look down on you? So I wonder if he just feels like he wants to be. Like, do you want to be established before you and Nancy go anywhere? Is that what this is? Like, do you want to have your own? Maybe place? because like. like if we look back at the men she's dated, she's dated Nick, who has money, has a business. He owns things. She dated, um, who's that rich guy that died? Owen. <laughs> Owen, also money, business. Um, I don't think he's seen the 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 sparks between her and Agent Park. Um, did he? Her and Tamora had that thing. Bobsy. I don't know if he would be insecure about Gil, but um, he, even if it's real or not, it's real to him that maybe he feels a little bit insecure compared to the guys that she's dated in the past. Mm-hmm. But who knows if it's that deep, if he's thought that far about it, but maybe he will be now. I don't know. That's but just I think, a, a hypothesis. <laughs> I think it's with him going through everything at the moment and kind of feeling like he's a burden on people. He was afraid to be a burden on Nancy when maybe he is going through these things and feels this way about her. Um, you know the way like when you're having that, like when you're lost in life and you, you want to be your own person, but at the same time, you know the safety net of calling your parents to sort it out is there. 
I feel like since he's kind of going through that, he didn't want Nancy to be, be the safety net, which again, I do have slight issues with because Nancy is their safety net when it comes to all things ghosts. She would have had the answers to that situation. Even, but at the end of the day, we, they explained it away very well because S was the one who was able to read into her voice and know that she was going through something of her own in a way highlighting that he knows her better in a way that other people don't. But it was on the other hand, it was also really interesting that Ryan, who people kind of play like a bit more of like an adult S and that he's kind of funny and sometimes doesn't see things. He was the one that picked up on that there's something there between him and Nancy and confronted S with it. And S didn't know what to do with that. So the the S and Ryan partnership kind of it flourished in these two episodes. Mm-hmm. You really got to see that. I mean, it all started with the first one when um, Ryan and Carson basically became kids and Nancy and S had to be the parents of the whole situation. Were they not having the time of their lives? Uh, so, like I was getting, oh my God, seeing um, Scott Wolf. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because, okay, I'm sorry. I just got so confused in my head because <laughs> in Party of Five, the actor that played his older brother was Matthew Fox, and both of them mm. have animal last names. And I always oh, get yeah. them like mixed up in my head. <laughs> but seeing him in the varsity jacket, I was like, "That's my sweet Bailey Salinger from Party of Five. It was like such <laughs> a throwback. I loved it. And just oh my god, they also putting the dads together has been such a joy in this season because mm-hmm. to see them act together in a different way, the way they played off each other in the teens were you see the generation divide a little bit where like um, you, you can see how they're like a little bit older than each other. Like uh, Ryan regressed right back to like the nineties <laughs> teen in his, his colorful, whatever that was. He wanted to ride dirt bikes. He was like such a bro. And it was so funny. And Carson was like, I, I guess eighties, late eighties. Um, if mm-hmm. they were just, they were adorable and they were best friends which is like, I mean, we knew that it's been their dynamic, even as much as Carson is aggravated by Ryan's inability to run a household, they really are a team. And so to see that, you know, and as teenagers, Ryan would be the one who'd be able to get them out of bad situations because apparently teenage Carson does not like public speaking. And Ryan mm. had to just be pompous and walk in and be like, so you can't do the thing because my family has stuff and where the heck's I love is. how he like pulled that out of thin air of like, Somehow, fake teen Ryan was like, I know how to stop a legal proceeding. <laughs> <laughs> that man is efficient. But it's I also, probably something he saw his dad do or something. I don't mm, know. But I also love the generation, like like Reed said, the generation divide, because like Nancy and S, they are not all much older than teenagers, and yet they could not get along with these teenagers because they had nothing in common. Like, for example, when, um, when uh, Nancy asked, are you mocking me to Ryan Kennedy's face? Oh, what a performance. And then he <laughs> stepped up and was like, I speak the language. <laughs> what, a, what a moment. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Can we, it's time for Kennedy to get praised because these two episodes, we had two different um, shades of her mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. Oscar worthy acting. In seven, her scenes with Madison talking about Odette, which we need to talk about because yeah. I'm, um, we'll get to that. Um, she, just the way that she just, uh, I don't know. I can't, I'm running out of words to describe how much I enjoy watching Kennedy act. And then in episode eight, she, there are like shades of the more like playful, silly Nancy. Like there are memes that I had saved before I even started watching Nancy Drew. Cause just the faces that Kennedy made, I was like, I didn't know Nancy Drew was kind of a silly time. 
and in these two episodes, two of the memes I have saved in my meme folder happen. <laughs> and nice. I was like, oh my God, finally I get context. And it was even funnier in the moment to see. I think one of them was when the her dads are in the backseat mm-hmm. acting yeah. up and she turns around and she points at them. And oh, I loved it. Um, yeah, Kennedy, I don't know how she balances the the uh, heavy side of Nancy, the more like vulnerable side with the yeah, I'm still a 19-year-old girl that's kind of silly, even though all this is happening around me. Um, I I love that girl. She just kills it every week. Mm-hmm. It is an excellent example of like what you love to see in an actor uh, mm-hmm. because she can handle basically everything. Her I will turn this car around energy was so strong with her, her dad's. Uh, and it gave a chance to like come off of like episode the episode before that was pretty heavy. And it's not that like seven isn't, but we start like with levity. And yes, it's very important that we get this this soul splitter. And yes, it's very important that we save George. But we also have time to let the dads run amok and for um, Nancy and Ace to have to wrangle them. Uh, and then you get to the the George part, which love the scene. Didn't love how he arrived there. Uh, the acting in the scene was great. I just think, to me, I don't think the show did enough work between Bess and Odette to warrant Bess basically leaving George in limbo because she doesn't want to destroy Odette. Mm, yeah, I never, I think I'm on record saying that the Bess and Odette stuff, I didn't really ever connect with it. Mm-hmm. But it's still, like, I, I don't really mind. I'm okay with leaving it it's technically like a C B plot. Like it's fine, whatever. Um, but yeah, it didn't have the weight for me. Like I didn't, I didn't fully, I wasn't there with Bess being heartbroken mm-hmm. over having to destroy the crystal. Cause in my mind, I'm like, just destroy it. Like whatever. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just like Nancy said, she's a spirit. She's been gone for a long time. Um, just give her peace. So I wasn't really fully there with her at the bus state. She was at the, she was leaving. She was at the bus stop, right? I don't know. Whatever that bench yeah. was, she was ready to get out of there with her crystal. I don't know what her game plan was, but yeah, I was not completely there with her. Beautiful performances. Mm-hmm. And yes. I don't mean that in the way of like beautiful gowns, like legitimately, like that's some of Madison's best work in the show. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. And I agree. I, I agree with what you both said. I'm not really sure I I liked how we got there. As a standalone episode, it was fine if you didn't need the context, but the context we do have, and I think it'd be like we could have had a little bit more if they really wanted to, Bess and Odette to be this great relationship that this episode suggested that it was. Nevertheless, the performances did the work for the writing because, um, the Na- Nancy and Bess, if you look back to season one, they were the kind of the two that connected in the like uh, group of people first. And we haven't really get to see them purred up that much. And they weren't even purred up that much in this episode. But when that just came in, you felt all those emotions. You felt like they knew each other for a long time. You saw Nancy was soft with Bess before she was soft with anyone else. And now you get to see her be in such an endearing performance from Kennedy, such a reassuring performance. And just seeing Madison, that beautiful performance where she just like broke down. It, it did all the work it needed to, which is why as an episode, I'm perfectly fine with how it played out. Yeah, I just wish yeah. we had a bit more context leading up to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, because there's a line in the premiere of season three where Bess calls Odette her soulmate. And it's cool. That line's doing a lot of heavy lifting that the previous season did not do. And I can't hinge that on one line. And mm-hmm. this episode kind of does that. But it is the, I mean, it's a gorgeous scene. 
Um, I think like for me, the way that I had to enter it was that it's still a life that she'd have to let go of. And I was like, for that part of it, I get it is, it would be hard. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm cold hearted, like crush that crystal. I don't care. <laughs> but- I think I, I was just over Odette, love her to death, um, but love her to death, literally. Um, <laughs> I, I was just ready for that storyline to be over. So was Nancy, because Nancy was like, you know what? I'm sorry. I told you to destroy it. And I didn't think about your perspective of it. I was like, no, Nancy, you had the right energy. We just have me to and, stop down for Me best. and Nancy were like, what's going on with <laughs> <laughs> That, I mean, I think the, the way that the episode does slow down to to pick up trauma is interesting, too, because it wasn't just the um, Bess's trauma over, like, having let go of uh, Odette and what would that mean and how she had been holding on to a piece of hope that they'd be able to put her in another body, I guess. That was a reveal I wasn't prepared for. Um, but we also went back to Nick's trauma, which the show doesn't always, mm-hmm. like, excavate. And when he had that conversation with Addie and... I realized in that moment, I had never really thought about what it would have been like for him to come to Horseshoe Bay to thank Nancy's mom, only for her to to find out that she'd passed. And then for um, the woman who had accused him, who he then had developed a relationship with, for her to get murdered while he's there too. And I was like, oh, you're right. Nancy was dealing with the loss of her mom and that's very heavy, but Nick had two back-to-back significant deaths that were not explored that much. And it is traumatic. And then when he said, when he listed out everything, and I was like, realized he'd never had an opportunity to process what he went through. Everything has been, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. So him disappearing on everybody kind of made sense, even though it wasn't something that you would expect Nick to do. Yeah, he's never really had the chance to come up for air. Um, he's just always powered through. And that's just his his energy, right? How we know him is like, he's always the one that's like, okay, what's next? Um, and that's not always healthy. I will say the the disappearance threw me because it felt so like dire at the end of episode seven and then episode eight started. Once again, they bamboozled me because I'm like, did I skip an episode? <laughs> <laughs> I always expect them to pick up with where the previous episode left off and they don't often do that. And I was expecting maybe like when episode eight started like <clears throat> 24 hours earlier and... <laughs> They, they always just bamboozle me and I love it. Like I love being, being kept on my toes. Um, but I was like, it didn't feel as dire when he was missing and they were searching for him. Mm-hmm. Like George was stressed, obviously. Um, and I feel like she didn't also have the chance to really deal with being back in her body by herself and having, mm getting to do with that before she's like oh my god my fiance is missing i was also on high alert for like a impending storyline if they did find him she didn't know that she odette was released into the world to the to the ether or whatever so like there wouldn't have been a storyline where like oh now you're gonna live forever maybe i don't want to get married like i was on high alert for that storyline mm-hmm. to come um but it did kind of take me out when they not to cut to the chase when they found him and he was just on a football field. And I was like, you've been there for, you've been there for two days. <laughs> that part was funny. I just, it's, it's just like so sweet. It's like, of course, Nick, like he's not going far. <laughs> he just needed to clear his head. And I was like, that's so sweet and innocent and exactly what he should have done anyway. Cause it was out of character. If he just like left town, that's not mm-hmm. in within his character. Um, but I was kind of like, 
I had an issue with him not really telling anybody, just like leaving. And I know his friend from Florida explained that he does that, but I was like, well, I struggled with it. What do you guys think? Mm. I thought the timing of it was off because I'm glad we're finally getting some neck exploration because like Sabrina said, everything that's kind of happened in his life since or on the throughout the show's run has been a reaction instead of like an action. And now he's starting to realize that what would his life have been like if none of this had happened. So I, that I get and that I appreciate. But we have been playing with George's death for three seasons now. I hate that the payoff was sacrificed for another storyline. And I, I hope it's an important one and I hope it goes somewhere. I just think that this was season, maybe series finale. I'm pretty sure I said a couple of weeks ago, this could have played, the, the George story potentially dying could have played out right until the final season. And then it would have been like George kicking over that blood bucket in season one actually was an arc that played throughout the whole show's run, but they didn't want to do that. And that's okay. But we had a beautiful episode to deal with it in the middle of the season that felt like it came out of nowhere and the storyline was quickly dropped so we could move on to something else. I just, I, I'm a big fan of Aftermath that Nancy Drew does Aftermath so well and it never got a chance to do this because we went right back into a different episode or a different storyline. We might get it and so I don't want to write it off instantly but because Nick spent so much time off screen and none of the other characters outside of George were paying attention to him, it didn't feel like it was a story that needed to kick the Odette thing out of the way right away i feel like we could have moved a little bit more slowly and had both stories had the meaningful explanations they needed to i think did i like it no i did not like <laughs> <laughs> um, i i i like the where they wanted to go with it i think my issue with it is the execution um by the end of the episode i did accept what the choice that they had made um yeah. because it's it gives uh nick an opportunity to out, act outside of his character because it's something mm. that you wouldn't expect him to do. So that I, I appreciated. It just, um, right, that it's starting right after the whole debt thing was jarring. But I think it's also, he has just been kept so far out of the loop when it comes to what George is doing that him leaving his phone, maybe it's just a reaction of like, you. when I call, you never pick up. I always end up finding out later what you're doing. I think you can find out later what I'm doing. I'm just mm. gonna leave it here. It might have been a reaction to that. With no with with the story not giving dialogue for that, it's only an assumption. Perhaps in the next episode he'll clarify if he has time, because uh his friend told him that she thinks she killed somebody. So we might not even slow down long enough to be able to get Nick's thoughts on why he, you know, just left it properly. I'm concerned about Nick and George because Episode after episode, they're keeping things from each other. They haven't seen each other. It's like, I, you can't start a marriage in this. You're so divided. You're so far away from each other that I'm concerned that they'll want to snap right back in to each other, but it's not going to work because you're right. Mm -hmm. Now he has to deal with his friends back and she was already insecure about that. And she understood why she was back and she let her have that moment, which I think George should have went with Eve. Um, on the football field that was kind of an interesting choice for me because um, I want now George doesn't know this and mm -hmm. who knows if she's immediately going to learn this information and now we're keeping like the Odette thing I mean, there's something else that happened that I don't think that Nick and George had a conversation about they haven't even connected over the whole soul splitter thing right mm -hmm. like she kept them completely like I don't know there's just so much it's not like it's 
world shattering secrets, but it's enough withholding that it's like, how are you guys going to build a life on this right now? So it's, I'm concerned for they're going to, um, it's going to be a red light on the wedding night. Mm, I think so. Also question, did we change Nick's story in the middle of um, the series? Because I thought he went to jail, not juvie, but his friend mm. says juvie. Um, and then yeah. like he's a sophomore. I thought we were going to, we were senior. I don't, I have no idea, honestly. I didn't, I really didn't know any of the details about what happened. <laughs> like I'd forgotten <laughs> everything. Um, did it, wait, okay. Here's my question. Did his self-defense situation, did that happen in Maine or Florida? Florida. We I mean, know okay. Maine, because that's why they were there. They were there three, did she say three years ago? For, um, yeah, in, so, yeah. That's how... and in my mind, I'm like, oh, so at the start of the series, I'm like, no, it's only been like two months, <laughs> right? In this show, it's only, it hasn't been that long. Yeah, time does move to Nancy. Yeah, it, maybe three months. I know we're not in summer. You know what? It was de- December is when um, the dates that Ace was putting in, and we start yeah, the yeah, season yeah, yeah. in the summer. So it's been a few months. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Mm. I don't know. Timeline is lost is lost for me now. Because yeah. I could have sworn he was an older teen, not a fifteen to sixteen year old. Um, when when that happened, you mean? Yeah, and now she yeah, she said so Judy. Too. Maybe he was right on the cusp. Um, because I remember Nancy's dad saying a lot about or Carson saying a lot about that in season one. I don't, you know, I don't remember. Someone tell us in the comments. Please. I know. Help us. Remind us. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've watched so much of the show at one time that it's like hard to keep all the yeah, things close it's all together. together. Like we, <laughs> we, tried, we did so well in like the first season of like bringing everything, all the information with us that like now that we're three seasons in, like there's so much information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we got even more with Temperance and now she's in a different body and there was a whole, honestly, a season long arc happened in, in, uh, in one act and I was yeah. like, love the pacing i need to catch up hold on (laughs) i think uh the i had a singular problem with that whole temperance thing and i think it was just that i knew it was her from the beginning that was Mm -hmm. um and i they tried to play it like they had snowed us it's like you really didn't though You're, you're giving what the flash gave with their whodunit. Like it was very obvious. Timmons isn't throwing herself in front of anybody here being like, move. So she can get like hit in the arm. And they tried to pull it back by having Nancy sympathizer, sympathize with her. And I was like, yeah, I get it. But no. Yeah. I will say, I think the Mr. X were ever so slightly successful because they had me question like maybe Timmons is, I don't know, maybe she's good, but she still had that like, you're right. There was something about her where we're like, we're not, we're, we're not trusting her. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, when the reveal came, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. That, yeah. That makes sense. I wasn't completely like, oh my, it wasn't like the night agent where I was like shook, even though like I saw it coming. Um, yeah. I wasn't completely like shaken. I was shaken about everything else that happened, but I was mm-hmm. like, girl, I knew it was you the whole time. All the shady stuff started happening. The second you dropped the walls on Horseshoe Bay, like I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not brand new. <laughs> yeah. No, I was kind of wondering if we'd seen it already as well, because she was, she's kind quite confrontational. And throughout the whole thing, she wasn't confrontational after she got injured. She wasn't like, why did you do this to me? That was a stupid idea. 
or anything like that. She couldn't have been like, well, okay, she was putting up a few walls uh, so that they couldn't see her most painful memory. But she didn't like push back against them physically, didn't shout at them or roar at them, which I feel like is what temperance would have done if they ruined her plan and almost killed her immortality. But none of that happened. But then at the end, they did kind of get me because she revealed to Nancy about how she took the wall down and everything. And I was like, oh, okay, we're being upfront here. Maybe temperance does is being upfront completely and nice and honest. But then at the end, she wasn't. I knew when she came out looking like her daughter and was like, oh, there was a chance this could have happened. I was like, you would have known that. So I did. I kind of seen where they were going there. But between the episode, the sticks and everything, and the fact that the light monster looked like something out of the 1950s, they did, it was like a, a, a solid like horror, terrifying episode yeah. that, that, that taught us more about temperance. It was given mm-hmm. charmed. Oh, it was. Yeah. Like very like, and I mean that in a really positive way. Um, but all I know is that Nancy got caught and she's going to be pissed. Yes, she is. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, she's going to be like, I sympathize with you. And I was like, well, maybe you shouldn't have, though, because the scene that they show that the the the, um, the most heartbreaking moment, you know, is when she isn't when her daughter dies. It's when her daughter betrays her. And she says, I hope you die at Gettysburg. <laughs> and I was like, uh, and then she does. I was like, Nancy, I think that would have been the point that we wouldn't have quite been on Temperance's side. Red flag should have been going off. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but that whole like complicated story about the Dows and, and, um, and Temperance, I really enjoyed. I also enjoyed the inserts of the, of the memories and how they did it. It looked like, um, like film grade. Right, like mm. it's just an overlay. I appreciated the special effects there. I also appreciated that we got a little tiny moment to do some character exploration for Park. Mm. I it took me out of left field though. I will say I was briefly taken out of the episode when he explained who Eleanor Harris was, and I was like, oh, didn't know we were going to have a moment about a school shooting, but okay. And yeah. but it was very, um, it was very well acted. It was an mm. excellent scene. Uh, to get on my Kennedy praise again, she she had to say the phrase commendable zeal Mm. and in any other script that would have been such a clunky line but my god you could you know that kennedy worked that line to make it to make it work because when she said it it felt so natural for nancy and i was like who is saying commendable zeal (laughs) (laughs) in a show and it's not like cringy it was i was like i literally had to stop and be like God damn, Kennedy McMahon. Like I just those two words like gave me chills and I masterclass every time. I hope Kennedy sees this like because I don't know if anybody praised you on saying that line, but I am because <laughs> like <laughs> not many actors can pull that off. Like that is such a hard thing to make to say naturally. Like, I don't know. Maybe I was mm. just like doing too much, but that line really I was like, my gosh, Kennedy, you did it again. And Constantly an, raising the bar. <laughs> it's also, it's an emotional scene too. So to be able to say that and still mm-hmm. carry the weight of what's happening, um, it's not a small feat. And this is the reason why I read Nancy review, read you're like, you know what? We're going to dust off the stool and I'm going to get up here and praise Kennedy. I mean, she deserves it. It's amazing. Like, just, like, the tenor in her voice when she said it. Oh, my gosh. Every choice she makes as a performer, it feels like the first time I'm seeing somebody act. It's Mm. just so good. I don't... Again, I could be doing way too much, but she's just so good. 
And I'm going to miss her when she's not playing Nancy anymore. I know. But you know what we're going to see her in? The Good Lawyer. Yes. Manifesting that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's Positive happening. vibes. Yeah. We're not gonna, yes. I still haven't watched it, though. No one come for me. I'm sorry. I keep forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one of the things that, that uh, we talked about in the episodes that got lost was the Hannah bit. And I wonder if the, uh, the Hannah and Temperance storylines is going to start to connect now that i think that's hannah talking to ace and ryan that too um because mm. the drew crew were way too it was way too easy for them to be like we shouldn't have believed hannah we um this shouldn't have ever happened and i was like you believe temperance but you don't believe hannah hannah who has helped you with everything why would hannah suddenly turn on you so now i think even beyond the grave she's over here like caution Look at the tapes. I hope she's not dead. I hope she's just like lost somewhere. Well, I guess if she's a ghost communicating, she has to be dead. Ugh. Or Temperance put her on a different plane. So she's like in yeah. another reality. And mm, she's, yeah. but she can she has enough power to like help them. Stress. Yes. And Temperance is a mom who's doing too much. She mm. wants because that line she when she's writing her daughter the letter. And she says, we're going to be one in spirit and in body. And I was like, we couldn't, we couldn't let the little one go. I'm, like, <laughs> we couldn't do that <laughs> because in the stack of, of letters, I was like, it's, I just, it's creepy temperance. It's just really yeah. weird. Yeah. And it feels like, I don't know what the difference is, but all this, she's in chari charity's body. Mm. yeah mm -hmm. it just feels like a complete like turn like we're break we broke bad like we're we're in her villain era she did something bad and it feels mm -hmm. so good <laughs> <laughs> like that this is where we are now um the turn was incredible i'm interested to see how far she takes it mm -hmm. because they were shook when they saw her in charity's body i don't know if they were shook for the same reasons we were i don't know what nancy picked up on um she was a little off her game Mm. Mm -hmm. Nancy, we need to sharpen those instincts. Maybe we need to to compare notes with Ace. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy just needs a day off. She'll be back on her game after that. The girl was had a lot of blood loss. She went through with this episode. Yeah. She, oh, yeah. Those sneakers she had on. Oh, I'll need to I, check I, those out because I think I missed the, the footwear. I'll have to go back. I, I'm always checking out her, what she's got on her feet. And she was she went for comfort this week. Ooh. And I was like, it's deserved. <laughs> you better, Nancy. <laughs> 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 any last thoughts about um nancy tree before we end i love kennedy mcmahon i don't think you can follow that up so yeah go for it <laughs> okay well that's it <laughs> thank you for listening with the cw spiral i'm sabrina i'm michael and i'm reed bye y'all What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.